0: Fell into a burning ring of fire. That's not this ring, is it? We're going to get fired up, though. (laughs) Hell yeah. Hey, everybody. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. This is Fried Squirms. We're going to get stoned and talk about horror movies. Today's movie being Ringu. Ring, not the ring. (laughs) Just ring. Not our ring. If we like it, we're going to put a ring on it. Fuck, I don't know. Let's get to our fucking green hits. Let's start getting stoned so we can talk about this movie. You just told me like a minute and a half ago what you brought me. I completely just, it's gone.
1: Well, I stopped by one of our favorite local dispensaries here in town over at Flower. I picked up Bruce Banner number three strain, which is one of the three phenotypes of the Bruce Banner strain. And for those who are not familiar, this is an 80% sativa, 20% indica dominant strain It is a cross of the hugely popular OG Cushion strawberry diesel strains. And with that being said, the effects are very energizing, euphoric, and you'll feel a sense of happiness. It helps relieve like ADHD, chronic pain, Crohn's disease, depression, et cetera. The flavors on this, because it is a part of that diesel strain, you're going to get some diesel undertones. It's very fruity. So, hence, you'll get some strawberry tones as well. So, yeah, I like it. I like a good sativa, Bruce Banner.
0: Nice. So I also went to Flower because it's the closest dispensary to my house, and they always have good shit. On deck. And uh, when I showed up, they had, I think, a pack of something that they had just put in the system. Now, I've brought this in for you before. Today, I brought you some Motor Breath. I've brought it to you from Greener Pastures before. I've never seen Flower have it. First off, I'm curious to see how it turns out. I obviously have some of my own for later. But here's the other thing. Me and you both frequent flower often. They tend to have great bud. Good enough that it usually doesn't matter that their stuff clocks in between like, I don't know, like 19 to 24% most of the time, I'd say. Lately, more like 22 to 25%, right? So this motor breath's at 28.4, which is impressive from them. Motorbreath already has a reputation for being a bit potent. It is a hybrid crossed from Chemdog and OG Kush. It's really funny because as I'm looking at his entry on Leafly, like they're mentioning the herbal, citrusy, and peppery. The fact is, it's named Motorbreath because it's diesel, (laughs) like it's gassy. So no complaints. There you go, Motorbreath, not the band. Did we said what we're doing, right? Yeah. All right. Well, then, since we're starting to get high, maybe we should get into the Guts and Bolts. Guts and Bolts. Guts and Bolts. All right. So, Guts and Bolts, spoiler-free section, who and what went into the making of this movie, this movie being Ringu. Start off with a spoiler-free setup for the movie. Teens suddenly start dying. Of no apparent reason other than supposedly they all watched a creepy tape. And a journalist slash onto one of them, that's a probably way more awkward (laughs) way of, or way less awkward way of saying it, starts investigating, trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Without spoiling anything, that's a pretty good setup of what this film entails. Also, I'm pretty sure the American remake made like all the money, so you're probably already like familiar with this. Exactly. So with that being said, Actually, how much did that? I'm gonna look that up <laughs> the Director
1: of this film is Hideo Nakata and this gentleman He's got some really cool films underneath his belt, too Now when you look throughout his filmography, he went on to direct such films as its sequel So a little bit of a spoiler even though this is like 20 something odd years after the fact is that there is a ring two. He's also the director of dark water He was also approached, which is kind of interesting when you look at who was on board with this. DreamWorks is actually the one who put The Ring 2 out, which is the American version of it. Hmm. But he did direct it, so that's why it can be a little confusing. But a few other things of note from him. He directed Sleeping Bride from 1999, the film Chaos, the film Kaidan. He's also responsible for such things as Ghost Theater. And more recently, in 2019, he did the film Sadaku. All right, moving forward, we have a couple of writers on this project, reason being because the novel of the same name was written in 1991 by a gentleman named Koji Suzuki. He's often referred to as the Stephen King of Japan.
0: Yeah, oh, interesting. Yeah.
1: And the screenplay was written by Hiroshi Takahashi, and this gentleman's known for writing such films as Sodom the Killer, The Ring 2, and the television series which came out last year, ju On Origins.
0: Juan's a Grudge, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Making sure I had that straight.
1: The cinematographer on this film is Junichiro Hayashi. And this gentleman is known for being the DP on such films as Koyoshi, Water, and the film Dearest. We have editor Nobuyuki Takahashi. This gentleman, once again, another one of these guys has got some really cool films underneath his belt. And when you look at Nobuyuki's credits, they include such things as The Ring Part 2. He with a film called Isola, Multiple Personality Girls, a film actually I own. Haven't watched it yet. He's also responsible for Dark Water, Jew on the Grudge, *Juon Part 2,
0: The Grudge, Part 2, that is. Having not seen it just from the name, I want a vampire girl versus Frankenstein girl versus multiple personality oh, girl. That would be awesome. <laughs> Might be all the same girl. Stay tuned to find out.
1: All right. He's also responsible for the films Death Note, L Change in the World, Ikigami, and several television shows in Japan as well. Music was composed by Kenji Kawai, and this gentleman, once again, has got some really cool credits underneath his belt because when you look at his filmography, he helped with the TV miniseries Vampire Princess Miyu back in
0: 1988. He also helped with Ranma One Half, which is a television series. Dude, I have fucking... Well, they're not mine. They're Shout out, Jesse. I know you're listening. There's some Ron Mahaff fucking VHSs behind you, you in the fucking it. closet there.
1: Well, he helped with 18 episodes back in 1989. He also helped with the Ron Mahaff Netohan 1989 series as well. He's done a lot of Japanese series when you look at a lot of the television works.
0: Oh, shit. He did some good. He Movie-wise, he did Ip Man. Ip Man's great. Check
1: this out. He was also responsible for Blue Seed, Ghost in the Shell, Hyper Police, once again, Vampire Princess Miyu when it became a television series. Ring Part 2, The Princess Blade. You write a lot of those, Ipmon, like four of those, I believe, he's responsible for. Damn. Yeah. yeah that's cool. So, like I said, a, re- a lot of really cool stuff, man. We have special effects by Hajime Matsumoto, and this gentleman. What can I say? If you look at his special effects, he's responsible for on the Curse and Inogami special effects but he also helped with a lot of visual effects on films and you can go back and look at such things as uh, Gojira versus King Ghidorah Godzilla and Mothra The Battle for Earth he helped with Ultraman versus K-Man Raider a lot of the uh, Gamera films Ring 2 Ringu 0 Juon Part 2 Isola a lot of really cool films there alright this was produced by Shinya Koei Takashige Ichisi and Takanori Sento there were a ton of production companies. I don't have to go through them all because I don't have time for that. All right, the distributors were Ace Pictures and Toho Company for the 1998 Japanese theatrical release. It had a release date on January 31st, 1998, in Japan. The budget was an estimated $1.2 million, and it grossed worldwide an estimated $19.4 million.
0: Not too bad. I think 13 of that in Japan, which made it one of the top 10 grossing movies in Japan that year. I think it was the highest grossing horror film in Japan.
1: Mm -hmm. I think to that point, I think ever. All right. There is a tagline and I have one curse, one cure, one week to find it.
0: Mm, Okay. I mean, it fits. That doesn't feel (laughs) like it fits the tone of the movie. Does that make sense? Sounds like somebody's got uh, the hiv. (laughs) Something of that nature. Or it sounds like, because it sounds more like, a, almost like a generic action movie. It
1: kind of does. Tagline, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it makes sense once it plays out to an extent. All right, so moving forward with the cast, I'm going to lead off with Nanako Mitsushima. She plays the role of Reiko Asakawa. And a few films of note from her. She was in The Ring Part Two. She was also in the films Grave of the Fireflies. Shield of Straw, and a Takashi Miike film, The Great Yukai War, Guardians. All right, we have Hiroyuki Sanada. He plays the role of Yuji Takayama. He is the husband of Reiko in the film. A few films of note from him, which is really interesting because he is probably one of the more well-known actors of the bunch. But he was in such things as The Last Samurai. You might have also seen him in such films as Speed Racer, The Wolverine. He was in 47 Ronin the film Life and Avengers Endgame, and more recently, he played
0: the Mortal Kombat character Scorpion, Hanzo. Okay, so it's really fucked up. When I was watching this movie earlier today, I got a text from friend of the show, former roommate Jesse, asking what I thought of Mortal Kombat. And we went off on a weird little tangent on like all the different awesome Asian actors that popped up in this. And... Like brought up Tadanobu Asano is Raiden in it. Joe Taslim from the raid is Bihan, who's nice. first Sub-Zero. And we brought up this guy, Hiroyuki Sanada, nice. while he was on screen. <laughs> and I did not put together that it was him. All I said was, like, I hadn't watched Westworld yet, who I think he's also, is he in Westworld? He is, he yeah. sure is. So I haven't watched Westworld yet. And so Jesse was like, yeah, Scorpion, the guy from Westworld. I'm like, I haven't seen that. But I'm like, you mean the Yakuza that Hawkeye kills in Avengers Endgame when he's first introduced as Ronin? Like, while this dude is on screen, (laughs) I did not put together that it's... I am fucking... I mean, I was stoned, but I'm usually not that dumb. Like, what the fuck? He was one of my favorite parts in New Mortal Kombat. He kills his fucking Hanzo Hisashi. I remember earlier on the week, I
1: said there's going to be an actor that we're going to talk about that you will have seen more recently. Here he is. That's interesting. Just a few other things of note from him. He went on to do Royal Warriors and Danny Boyle's Sunshine with uh, Michelle Yeoh. He was also, like you were mentioning earlier, in a couple of different television series here in the States. Like before he was a part of Westworld, he was also a part of Lost as Dogen. He was in Revenge from 2011 through 2012 as Satoshi Takeda and the television series Helix. So he's done a a wealth of things, including theater as well. All right, we have Rikia Otaka. He plays the role of Yuichi Asakawa, who is the little kid of both Reiko and Yuji. He also reprises his role in Ring Part 2. He's in the film Sleeping Bride and The Sea is Watching. We have Miki Niketana. She plays Mei Takano. She's like the student of uh, Yuji. She was in the film Spiral, Ring 2, Chaos, Loft, and Memories of Matsuko. We have Yuko Takayuchi. She plays the role of Tomoko Oishi. She is the niece of Reku. She was also in such things as Asaka the television series from 99. She was in a film entitled Yumageri. She was in Pride, a television series in 2004, Dog in a Sidecar. She was in Flash Forward and Miss Sherlock from 2018. We have Tomi Sato, she plays Masami Korahashi. She's like the friend of Tomoko. Okay. She was in Ring Part Two, the film Doppelganger, and the film Sadako. We have Daisuke Ban, he plays the role of Dr. Hei Hachiro Ikuma. He's in the television series Inuzuman in 1973, he was also in Zatuichi. He was in the film Spiral, Ring 2, Ringo Zero, and Premonition.
0: Which Zatuichi?
1: Uh, I want to say sometime in either late 80s, early 90s.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not the old school one, but... That that, just uh, I'm always curious. I was actually talking about Zatuichi with somebody else earlier this week, and it's just like at a certain point you almost have to be specific because it's like... There's the 2003 one. There's the 2007. The fucking the old old ones. Like uh, I
1: was gonna say, the reason I brought up that uh, television series Natsuman, it's like a lot of those precursors to Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. That style of like,
0: oh yeah, like the the Super Sentai style. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So he was a part of all that early kind of 1970s, late 60s kind of stuff. That's dope. Yeah. All right. We have Rei Ino who plays the role of Staku Yamamura, who we'll talk about later on. But she is also in the Ring Part 2 in the film Inogami. We have Masako. She plays the role of Shizuku Yamamura. She's in the films Figaro Story, Ring 2, and Ringu Zero. We have Yuichi Nomata. He plays the role of Takahashi Yamamura, who is the father of uh, Reku. He's in the films uh, Jigoku, The Golden Bat, Female Prisoner, Number 701, Scorpion, which all those series were on Shudder more recently. I think if they're still on there, they're worth checking out. All right, he was also in Ring Part Two in The Princess Blade. I have Yotaka Michishige, plays the role of Yoshino, who is like one of the helpers to uh, Reiko in the office. Mm. The reason I bring this person up, got some really cool stuff to his name. He was in such things as Godzilla 2000. You might have seen him in The Princess Blade. He went on to do One Miss Call back in 2004. You might have seen him in Shinobi, Heart Under Blade. He was in Sukiyaki Western Django as Toshio. He was also in Crows Zero. Oh, shit. That's really funny. Mm-hmm. He's oh, in my God. Crows Zero 2. He's in Outrage Beyond, Detective and Bar. So he's like in a bunch of detective stuff and Yakuza stuff because he's in a lot of Takeshi Make shit is what I'm trying to say.
0: Right. It was not long ago that I rewatched Sukiyaki Western Django. That's wow. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah. And last but not least, I have Katsuma Muramatsu, who plays the role of Koichi Asakawa, And they are also in the films Blue Christmas and The Return of the Golden Wolf, along with Ring Part 2. So that pretty much rounds out cast and crew. We gave you a brief synopsis of what this film entails. Uh, We should give you some warnings heading into the next section.
0: Some disturbing imagery. Definitely that. It's no fucking spoiler to say that this is a revenge ghost story, right? So if you don't like that shit.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's Japan. (laughs) It's kind of what they're known for.
0: <laughs> if you don't like early two thousands mainstream J horror, this is what kicked it off. So, like, if that's Dude. just not your bag, you're not going to dig this movie. I agree. <laughs> Plain and simple. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like,
1: I mean, really, there's, there's not, not much, even really man.
0: much language, is there? If at all, very little. Not much violence. Very little. Yeah, if at all. Very little. I mean, I mean there's, there's like there's a slap a- scene. There's one other thing too, but um, yeah, it's not bad. It's mild. It's mild. Yeah. I guess let's just get into how it made us squeal then. Cause there's not much warnings for th- this is a really accessible movie. Totally. As long as you can either understand Japanese or read subtitles.
1: How does that make
0: you squeal? All right. How did this make us squeal? Okay, I haven't seen this before. I've only seen the 2002 Gore Verbinski remake.
1: Okay, so I think I had mentioned this to you last week, perhaps. Because I had seen this film before. I'd only seen it maybe once or twice, all the way through. And the first time was kind of on the crest of the J-horror movement here in the States. Okay. Because of the stateside release of The Ring. Mm -hmm. So I was curious. It's like, I want to see the source material, so to speak. And I downloaded a copy of it way back in like 2002 ish, something like that. So it was a rough copy, wasn't the greatest, but I did watch it and I was like, okay, this is pretty decent, you know. And then the stateside release hit and it became kind of a somewhat of a phenomenon, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm.
0: Ring was good, but it didn't like that style. J horror isn't quite my thing. And then, as we've talked about in the past, for whatever reason, in general, ghosts just don't do it much for either of us. Yeah, I'm not a kid anymore. <laughs> if things happen for no reason other than ghosts, for some weird reason, neither of us care. If things happen for no reason <laughs> other than Satan, we're both down. Yeah. And it's fucking stupid, but...
1: It's just what it is, though. <laughs> yeah, you it's know? just what
0: it is. So, like, I would heard about it, and I knew about it. I would read the Wikipedia entry before at some point and shit, but... I had never watched it till this weekend. And now I'm having a hard time trying to decide on whether I want to drop my big opinion on it up front or make people wait on it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's totally up to you, of course, but you know, I think in, at least for me too, seeing it now from this lens compared to the lens back when I was like 19 or 20, when I first seen this, I have a, a different perception of it too.
0: Yeah, I guess. Okay. Let's just get into it, because this surprised the fuck out of me. I did not go into this movie expecting to come away with the opinion that I like the American version more. I was going to say, I am going to
1: reserve that, because I haven't watched that version in a long time, and so my memory is going to be fuzzy.
0: I remember that there are problems with it, but weirdly, watching this reminded me of a lot of scenes of that, okay. and I missed what was going on in that.
1: <laughs> gotcha.
0: Mostly the tape itself. Okay. This tape disappointed me. <laughs> I was all hyped. I'm like, fucking Japan, give it to me. Like I remember the American tape because that shit seared itself in my brain and I hated watching it. And I didn't like <laughs> I didn't like the flies. I didn't like the fucking tack going through the thumb. And then this was boring. Yeah, this is just this kind of is barely creepy. It's kind of artsy, very yeah. cryptic. Well, cause it's intentionally based on um what's that fucking dolly film uh oh, oh, oh. Uh, it's like Un-Xian Un-Xian Lu- yeah it's based on that makes sense like Surreal. that's the inspiration right yeah makes sense
1: the closest comparison which is going to be the most cliche it's got like lynchian kind of feel to it yeah barely
0: that's what i'm saying that's the most cliche i can give you like not as not as creepy no no I guess it gives has has some questions and like the towelhead guy kind of actually reminds me of Pyramid Head from Silent Hill. Yeah, I get that. Except he doesn't do shit. No, just points. Stands (laughs) there, points sometimes. Man, I don't know. (laughs) I after watching this flick, I sat there and I looked up some of the different like oh what's what are the two different versions rated on like Rotten Tomatoes and on like. IMDB and stuff. And this consistently has a higher rating and it makes me sad for people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay.
0: Because
1: we run into this from time to time, we've already mentioned it, that this isn't typically our bag. Mm -hmm. You know, Ghost stories don't really do a whole lot for me. There are exceptions to the rules, but typically I'm kind of like, eh, whatever. This is kind of where the perception thing for me comes into place because I think about Seeing it in 2021, and this film came out in 97, 98. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I had to keep that in mind <laughs> because technology is different. Mm-hmm. Our perception of the world is different. It's just different time periods, you know. So I think about that and kind of its message and its impact culturally. We've already mentioned it spawned the whole J horror culture.
0: Essentially. And I get that, but it's... But, right, I'm, I'm not saying... Looking that. back at it, though, I'm not sure how is what I understand. I think, to be, I under, I think it's more
1: rooted in Japan's culture, you mm. know, because they love their damn ghost stories, man. Kaidan's galore. <laughs> you know, it's just what it is. Vengeful spirits, all that good stuff, you know. So it's probably a little bit more impactful there. I'll give you an idea behind this. I was watching a video, and there was a critic who was... Kind of given the Western world an idea of the mentality in Japan because of this film and the way they compared it, it's like if you're going to compare these films or kind of give the the Western audience an idea of its impact. Well, this is would be Blair
0: Witch, right? Uh,
1: close, uh, actually, there's a bigger movie I'm about the drop, which is crazy in exorcist? context. So yeah, so the Ring in Japan is the equivalent of the Exorcist in America. Right That kind of impact. so it makes sense culturally, right? where like I said here, man, I got a good stories a long time ago.
0: <laughs> Here's the thing that all of those critics that said that this movie is timeless, I'm wondering how uh, many of them have went back twenty years later? That's
1: what I'm getting at too. It's like ah, uh, you might how want to many
0: remember. of them were willing to say that in the moment but haven't went back to actually yeah. examine this film?
1: If I were a critic in Japan, perhaps you could get away with that, but not here. It's like ah. Uh, it's a decent film, but to me, it feels more like an entry point film.
0: Ooh, super entry point, though. Like, that's what I'm getting
1: at. It's like, I know you don't like horror films, but you might like ghost stories because they kind of scare you. Here's there's a nothing one.
0: about this movie that's bad. That's no. the thing. No, it's like, a well crafted film through and through. It's shot well. The story unfurls nicely. Score's good. All the that score's stuff. Score's good. Yeah. Honestly, like. When we get to the end, her fucking crawling out of the TV is fucking classic. That's oh, timeless. Yeah. That's priceless.
1: That's, That's worth the price to of horror. Of
0: That's worth the price of admission. I agree. But we're supposed to be scared of a countdown with nothing backing it up. It's watching two journalists go through a week,
1: yeah, trying to figure this shit out. It's more of a the detective story, you know, investigating story more so than a horror film per se. The horror aspect is just the countdown, the dread, the anticipation leading up to that moment. Everything else is just, you're trying to piece things together. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a whodunit story, you know?
0: I mean, I think we'll eventually just have to do an episode on it, so I don't want to say too, too much in this episode, especially because we're trying to talk about this movie, but I do remember the American remake having more... Once the supernatural is a part of their lives, once she has viewed the tape like weirdness keeps happening through her life that keeps it creepy, like fucking flies coming out of the TV (laughs) foreshadowing that that's even possible. And like the tape is way more fucking gruesome and hard to watch and shit. Then you have things like the fucking horse suicide that had people running out of the theaters. (laughs) Yeah, dude. And this movie has none of that. Right. And it's literally just a countdown while two investigators go off and learn more and more details to try to put the story together.
1: That's why I think it will be fun to revisit the American remake because, like I said, I haven't watched it in a long time. So Mm -hmm. I want to withhold my opinion right now. But just based off this film alone is I can see why it spawned sequels, remakes, et cetera. It's still kind of in this sphere, too, because I mentioned uh, Mm Sadako was made just,
0: what, last year, the year before? Yeah, something like that.
1: Yeah, so it's still kind of relevant to some degree. So, like I said, Japanese people love their ghost (laughs) stories. It's just what it is.
0: Let's actually get into the movie a little bit, though. Yeah, so what's what's some of the shit that actually happens? Okay,
1: I do like how the film opens up because it's like immediately the expo you get is exactly what the hell this film is about. The girl spells it out. You know, where you watch a video, some woman appears, says, you got one week to live. Or are you going to die? You get the phone call. You watched it. There you go. And so because it's two girls and I like how they're kind of giving you psych out moments too. like the girl, she's like, uh, I watched the video. Did you? No, I just wanted to see if I get you. Uh, ha, ha ha. Phone rings. Did you watch it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's your mom. I got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. (laughs) Then that's when the spooky shit happens. But the setup is, is you don't see anything. You just, you know, something happened. Right. And then it cuts to later. And the use of the black and white kind of, you know, negative exposure Mm -hmm. to create that sense. I think
0: it's clever. It's a setup. I will say as much as I was just talking up the 2002 ring, American ring, The intro to this version is the superior one. I love the way that they gradually unfold like the weirdness of what's happening with the victims and stuff in this one as compared to it's kind of used right away at the end of the cold open in the American one and ends with kind of a jump scare. (laughs) Yeah. No, this one, it just, you know,
1: kind of leaves you like, Oh, what the fuck just happened? Mm -hmm. And then we get the introduction to Rico She's a, looks like some kind of investigative journalist or what have you. And she's interviewing students about the incident and they're telling her about the video. It's coming out of Izu, which is like a province in like this prefecture in Japan. But the whole point is, you know, you watch the video, you die. One of the girls kind of drops an interesting bit. She's like, just recently there was this couple that they died and, you know, it's unexplained. It was, they watched the video and then they died a week later. So there's some suspicious shit going on with the students because there's like four deaths that happened simultaneously, even though they were different places, but they all happened at the same time. So because of those news bits and because Tomoko-chan, the girl who dies at the beginning, is the niece of Reiko, it starts that kind of loop. The interesting bit too, which I didn't realize the first time through, but the second time through, it's a little bit more obvious because, you know, everybody in the family is psychic, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, is how they have these moments. Like, for instance, her son, Yuichi, he goes upstairs during the wake or whatever, and there's a scene where he walks by the hallway, and he stops, and he looks down the hallway, and then he keeps walking. Later, when the mom returns, Reiko, she does the, almost the exact same thing. The only difference is she hears an audible giggle mm. coming down the hallway, and then she goes into the bedroom. And I was like, that's interesting that they did that. Because they're letting you know there's a like a connection between the, the mother and the son and they're just using it visually. So it lets you know they almost like that's why I say I understand why they consider that guy the Stephen King mm-hmm. <laughs> of Japan mm-hmm. because man, it made me feel like this movie had a little bit of the shining element to it.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, because I get that. they're handing down that. this
1: the shine, so to speak, to the kid too, because both parents have ESP apparently.
0: I wish they played into that more but also just gotten into the weirdness of it all a little bit more. I would have, yeah, I would have maybe gave it some more spice because I do know a little bit about the series as a whole. Like I said, I've looked up this shit before. Like, <laughs> Hell yeah! Especially a few years ago when it was whatever. What was it? It was Sadako versus oh, what's shit. the name I, of the one the, uh, from Juan?
1: yeah, yeah. You're right. I can't remember, but I know what you're talking about
0: when that shit happened. I was like, wait, wait, wait. Hold up. <laughs> what? What movie just got announced? I have to go read I think I everything on yeah. both of these franchises right now, because this is fucking blowing my mind <laughs> that they do this. <laughs> and so I've looked up this shit before. Like if they would have gotten more into the fact that like the family already had latent psychic talent, if you have a encounter with Sadako and live, you manifest psychic ability. Mm. The fact that oh. she lived for like 30 years down in the well, They don't bring that up till the second movie. (laughs) That's fucked up, isn't it? As far as I know, they don't explain it. It's just like her hate and rage was so supernaturally strong that she lived down in the bottom of the well for that long. Just to add even more to her suffering.
1: Uh, She didn't want nowhere else to be but down there
0: just raging. Yeah. (laughs) You just wait, motherfuckers. If you get into some (laughs) of that weirdness in this movie, I think I would have been a little bit more.
1: Right, because there is something to build upon because of that that goes beyond what we get. You're right. I mean, it, it is an interesting part that you can play with. But what I was going to say is something that I, I noticed too about this is kind of the parallels between the families. And what I mean by that is Asakawa, which is Reiko, and Yuji, because they have uh, Yuichi together. But then you also look at the doctor, Yukuma, mm-hmm. and Shizuku, who had Sadaku, and you look at them, right? And I don't know about Ikuma. I don't think he, I think he was just having an affair. (laughs) (laughs) He was just getting his dick wet. I was going to say, yeah, he was having his yellow boy summer. (laughs) But Shizuku, she and Sadako both had psychic powers as well. But what that reminded me of, Stephen King, is Carrie. Oh, shit, yeah. (laughs) I mean, come on. So I was like, man, there's some interesting parallels with Shining and psychic powers, hence Carrie, and all that other stuff, raging and how all that stuff. But in this context, too, is like, the mother committed suicide. I know I'm jumping way fucking ahead, but the, the mother committed suicide and then the daughter got thrown in the well and shit. And you've already mentioned because of that, she became a, a rageful, vengeful spirit, right? Whereas in this case, Reiko, she breaks the curse unknowingly until later on in the film. And Yoichi, he's not a vengeful kid. Right. So that's what I'm saying. There's some interesting parallels and there is some, you know, some contrast between the families, but I thought it was an interesting aspect. But the thing they had in common too was a broken family. If you look at it, single mothers essentially, father's not really in the picture. It's kind of interesting too. Like one disposes of the kid because they didn't even want to be a part of it. The other one, he runs into the kid. Like that's their first interaction on film because mm-hmm. they bump into each other on the street and they just go by each other, they don't even acknowledge each other. It's weird. That's true.
0: Huh. Okay.
1: So, so there's some interesting parallels there. That's all the only thing. Because The story itself is, I mean, it's not complicated, really. I'm just trying to find the interesting bits to me, (laughs) you know?
0: Okay, so you brought up the King Illusions. Did you catch all the film shout-outs to Hitchcock?
1: Oh, that's a good point. I don't think I was paying attention to that.
0: Never mind, that's a little bit more for the American remake. That's okay,
1: that's okay.
0: There is a Hitchcock shout-out, but... Oh, Because the Birds is in the VHS. Oh,
1: nice, cool. Collection. Collection. I was going to say, I do know, just reading a little bit, that Hideo, the director, he said some of his influences were like The Haunting from the 60s, and there was Mm. another film from that era too, but it plays on the ghost stories, you know, Mm -hmm. once again. So I understand that. I even felt like this is me. You can correct me. You can maybe like, hey, maybe you're a little off base here, dude. But I thought it was interesting that they use the fucking cabin as a setup for the kids. And a damn spirit (laughs) down
0: below, (laughs) Evil Dead. That's true. That's true. That's what I felt like, dude. I thought it was weird that they built a cabin over top of a well. That's what I got caught up on. <laughs> I didn't think about the cabin with an evil spirit in the bottom like evil dead. That's actually kind of neat.
1: Yeah. So there was little things like that that That's caught my eye. Neat. Like maybe it was inadvertently did it, but I have my suspicions, <laughs> you know, just clever incorporation.
0: Did you crack up as much as I did with my dad's fat? My mom's oh, yeah, fat. You yeah. <laughs> read so it I'm too. I'm fat
1: too. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's another to throw in there, isn't it? <laughs> Here's something else I thought. When she first goes to Izu, to that cabin spot. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. She didn't check in right away. She just went straight into the cabin, and she just kind of made herself at home. <laughs> <laughs> and then it wasn't until later on when she checks in because she's talking to the guy in the lobby or whatever, the reception area. That's where she finds a tape or it finds her. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, damn, she was just kind
0: of casually checking the spot out, man. Alright, so there's parts of this movie that I had a hard time just keeping my attention on because it just was not doing it for me. Did the fact that like the assistants start fucking with their math equations after they left the room come back in any way? No, not I was really. Up. She's just like, I'm turning that to this? The- or was she just fucking goodwill hunting that bitch? I think she was just
1: fucking with them. <laughs> But the only thing that happened was at the end of the film, he notices it before the TV turns on. Because he, like, he giggles and he's like, ah, oh, he corrects oh, it. I didn't so me, that. there There is a, you know, it comes back around, but it's like, oh, what? You know, in a weird way, it's just kind of a setup. That's all it is. But whatever,
0: <laughs> whatever. Uh, okay, so this version of the tape... Comparatively, Uh, I wasn't as impressed with. However, after she watches it and then it turns off and you have the reflection of Sadako there, that was pretty good. No, that's
1: good. That's kind of a a psych out scare. That's pretty
0: classic, but it's
1: good. It's effective. Yeah. It's like kind of what we talked last week. It doesn't really do much for us, but it's effective for certain audience members. And it's good use of it too because it sets things up. But uh, one thing I did want to mention is when – Reku and uh, Yuji, you know, they are together, and she shows him the tape. I was like, okay, at first, I was like, all right, how are they going to explain this? Because he doesn't receive the phone call. Right. And I was like, all right, how do you explain that? And they do through some expo a little bit later on. So I was like, all right, so there's something that is conflicting there. And then later on in the film, I think she figures it out when they're at the inn after, like, all that expo dump that the— he like the uncle of Sadako or the uncle of Shizoku? The guy who sold her out to the newspapers and that's how oh, the, the doctor found her and all that stuff. He's the one who winds up ferrying them back to the mainland. But during that, she like puts it together that the reason that he didn't receive the phone calls because... It only rings at the cabin. And- right. And I was like, okay. It just took a while for you guys to fucking spell that out. <laughs> like, Jesus. Ooh. But it makes sense. But it also... When they do figure that out and when they go back, it leads me to probably, in my opinion, my biggest gripe about the film is the most boring part of the film is when they're trying to fish the water out of the buckets. I'm like, come on. Right. No, just stop. What are you doing? It's not working. (laughs) And when she goes down there, she's down there for like a few minutes tops. Like, dude, what were you doing
0: down there the entire fucking time? Right. Dude, fuck. the flashback <laughs> where we see the doctor fucking Bob Sadako. Yeah. That fucking sound effect had me rolling. They <laughs> way overdid that fucking bonk on the head. Oh, yeah. They're playing it up. <laughs> I was like, what? The- Just because you're playing a grainy black and white flashback doesn't mean you need to use sound effects from fucking 30s radio. Like- <laughs> I know.
1: I thought it was interesting. I mean, I- it's good use of it. The flashbacks, especially with uh, Yuji being a seer, when he gets a hold of that Takahashi Mm -hmm. and he sees what happened at the demonstration. That was kind of neat. I thought that was cool. That's a good use of that because it gives you an idea of what happened. Now, the part within that that I thought was kind of funny, but it sets up things, is the guy who's watching it and then he's like, this is a fraud. I was like, what is, (laughs) (laughs) how is this a fraud? I know, it's like, you didn't really make a valid point. You're just like, you're just arguing what you're watching, what you're seeing. And then everybody else is like, yeah, this is bullshit. <laughs> and then, you know, Sadaku, she kills that dude on sight. She's like, on sight. <laughs> but the interesting thing, too, is because we know Reiko has a little bit of that psychic power. I don't know if he brought her in through his vision or how that works, but she right. winds up getting marked by mm-hmm. Sadaku when she's like charging out. So I was like, okay, that's
0: kind of cool. You know, there's little uses of that. That's not bad. After Scorpion gets killed by Sadako. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I did think it was really subtle, but they did heighten the tension of how important it is that something be done about this when they showed the kid next, because uh, it's something that's repeated a lot more in the American remake but he's sitting there at grandpa's house and he's just drawing a ring yeah, the on ring. the paper while he's sitting next to an arrow bee that's forming another ring <laughs> and a ball that's visually forming another ring.
1: Exactly, dude. So I mean, I thought that was clever use of that if you're paying attention, mm-hmm. you know. Otherwise it's just kind of like, oh, that's just the kid and whatever. They're setting up like, oh, he's next. It's like, no, there's a little bit more going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit more. But Here's where I think the cultural and societal commentary comes into place is if you look at how it seemed like, you know, they found her remains, it should have lifted the curse. No, that's not the point. That's not the point of this film and this series is because the tape itself was willed into existence, apparently. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you're combining remnants of the past and putting it onto a, at this time, we're talking about VHS here, but at the time it was still a new technology, right? So you're keeping it alive, kind of making it a viral video. Right. <laughs> you know, and the way that you do is you spread it from person to person, just and so forth and such. And that's how you in a weird
0: way lift the curse is by
1: putting the curse on someone else and yeah, hoping I've always that I thought that was kind
0: of fucked up, but it
1: is fucked up. But maybe that's what lends to the like the idea that something like this technology and how it can have this reach, how it becomes maybe like a virus of a sort if it's not used right or, you know, what have you. So I, I kind of got that. I understood what they were kind of getting at with there because we've done several Japanese films now where they like to incorporate, you know, social commentaries, old the new technology versus nature and stuff like that. So,
0: but then I think when you get further into the mythology of these movies and the books and stuff though, from what I understand, like, even though you pass it on, like, you're still fucked up. Like, <laughs> it, apparently, I mean, like, Sadako can basically still, like, choose to have some form of influence in your life from that point on. Yeah, no. She just can't, like, kill you outright.
1: She's like, you know but I can still fuck
0: you up. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I think it, like, dr- like well, fucking the mom being driven to suicide. Dude, that's fucked up, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it does have an impact. She jumped in the fucking volcano. (laughs) Damn, that's some extreme measures. All right, I know we're kind of like, we skipped all over the place, but I did like the use of the little like line about, so it says, frolic and brine, goblins be thine. And they realize that it's a dialect in Izu. Mm -hmm. Now, (laughs) what I thought was interesting too, we brought this up, I think not too long ago. Because there is a film called Izu, and I own it, I'm like, that's kind of interesting, man. Because they're using this place, two different films, with this very supernatural element to it. And it makes me (laughs) wonder about that place now. But the whole point of that was that was something that Shizuku, she realized or she said to those fishermen, right? Because it amounted to like, you know, you go out there playing in the sea, goblins will come get you. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. That ghost will come get you. So I thought that was kind of a clever use of a line and its meaning and the fact that they realized it came from Izu because of the dialect. And, you know, that's some interesting stuff, if nothing else, to me. A little bit of trivia. I didn't realize this, but the novel, and this ties back into the why they used the fucking well in the first place, is that there is a place called um, Himeji's Castle. And on that site, there's a, a well called Kiku's well, and apparently there's a story of this maid who was working at this castle, and there was a, I don't know if he was a samurai or something of that nature, but they blamed her for like, I don't know, breaking dishes or some whatever, some menial stuff. Mm -hmm. But because of that, her punishment was... Down the well. Down the well. (laughs) Yeah. And so... Hence, she became a kind of a vengeful spirit and what have you, kind of cursed that samurai and all that stuff. So it's just a local legend, but it plays into that. And the director himself said he grew up in a part of the country where there were wells on the the property. And he was fearful that, you know, if you go down and he'd get pulled down or, you know, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, that was kind of an interesting
0: little side nugget. That castle sounds like no fun. I think I will be sticking to Takeshi's castle.
1: Yeah, I'm more about that. <laughs> we like the Takeshi around here. <laughs> He's awesome. <laughs> Some Gila douche. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. Yeah, I could go on about that. MXC is so good. That, like I said, that line I thought was cool because it lends back into, like, so what she said, even what they said about the sea, like unlucky, so it lets you know that they're already superstitious as it is. Mm-hmm. So it it lends into the supernatural. Makes sense. But they went, like, such a roundabout way to come back to square one and figure out that the well and the curse and all that other stuff was right there at the cabin in the first place. They went in the most roundabout way of finding out, but I don't know, man, it was all right. You know,
0: it is really neat how over the course of the story, they eventually end up in situations where all the images from the video make sense. It's just that there's no other terror associated with it. Not they really. see that and they get more scared, but <laughs> about other it, than them acting scared, there's nothing that makes us feel the tension.
1: No, you're, we're just kind of playing off of their emotions and, it, and it's fine. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's okay. Another thing too, in a, a parallel, I suppose you could use this is they said the well is kind of like a portal between the spirit world and you know, our reality as we, we put it and the television set as well. You know, that's a connecting Mm -hmm. portal of of sorts. So there's another little commentary there, too. I don't know, man. Like I said, I'm just trying to think overall. Like, there are certain bits that are okay. Like, I wish they would have played more into the ESP aspect of the characters. They just give you little sprinkles here and there. Like, for instance, when Yuji first goes into Reiko's, he does kind of like, ooh, he stops. He kind of feels an energy, I think. He puts it. There was something off.
0: As much as exposition for exposition's sake can sometimes be off-putting i kind of wanted more guidance with this esp shit because like he's suddenly touching that dude and seeing an entire like five minute flashback when earlier in the movie it's just been these super super (laughs) subtle little things i know you know what i mean like
1: yeah i'm trying to think of it this way too i'm like i don't know sometimes it could be a reach but how much of her willing this tape into existence? And then I've already mentioned there's a parallel between the families, mm-hmm. the Asakawa and you know, well I already mentioned all that stuff. But because there's that connection there, and because that tape kind of called out to her in the lobby, how much was it? Like she was already willed into it. That family was willed into it. Yeah. You know why wasn't anybody else? Why was Tomo? There was already connections, these threads there. It's just a weird coincidence. I don't know. If you're going to play into that, it kind of makes sense in a little bit like a Lovecraftian way, a cosmic horror way. Like once you're in its realm or in its thralls, you're kind of fucked as is.
0: Yeah. And I mean, unless you can copy the tape, you're absolutely fucked. Yeah. And that was her saving grace. There's no way to stop Sadako if you don't copy. I was going to say, technically,
1: when she showed Yuji the film, she was (laughs) (laughs) scot-free. That was her like out. She could have, the rest of the film, she could have been out. She I didn't don't know, know that.
0: I don't know if she was scot free when she showed you the film because she hadn't copied it yet at that point. Oh, what do you she, remember when she copied it? It was a little bit later because after he watched it with her at her place when he's uh, yeah, leaving, yeah, yeah. He he's like okay. he's like copy that, that for me. Okay, okay, yeah. That makes more sense. Cuz I want to be able to check it out like
1: Yeah, that makes more sense. So, yeah, when she does make that copy, You're right, it's a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they start to like figure out the eruption stuff and Yeah, yeah, that makes more sense. But maybe halfway through the film, she could have been out. Right. (laughs) It's up to you now, big dog. (laughs) It's your baby now. (laughs) But there's also something to be said about the family dynamic. I mean, outside of the ESP, is there traditional value? I saw something in that it's not uncommon for a Japanese family to have third, fourth, and sometimes fifth generations, like five generations living in a household. Like, damn, give me some privacy. No shit. But in this regard, it's- Trying to jack off over here. I know. (laughs) I can't be ghost jacking all the time. Uh, Or ninja jacking. Uh, Talk about that later. But the point I'm making is in this film, it's a single mom living with her kid, a distant father, (laughs) has Mm -hmm. no connection, you know? And this weird, by traditional standards, a weird family dynamic, you know? So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing too. It's just a little bit of a commentary on top of it.
0: Well, I read some of the critiques pointing out, like, the commentary it brings up on maternal apathy. Yeah. And, like, the kid's kind of neglected because she's just off pursuing her career and kind of just, like, not wanting to really have a kid because I have a career going, sort of. And it's not fair because the movie I'm about to bring up came out so much (laughs) later, but, like... Babadook does maternal apathy so much better.
1: Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. But I kind of get it too, because it's one of those things. I know we keep bringing it up, but you can't help it. It is a little bit of a critique on the modernization of the workforce and don't shoot the messenger here, but you could also say maybe it's a critique on modern feminism as well, Mm -hmm. you know? So I don't know. I'm just saying that's, you could read into that if you wanted to, but. You're right. Baba Duke does a much better job. Go and see that's that. It's not a fair
0: comparison. <laughs> it's not, but I'm gonna say that but straight this, out. This but. job
1: just kind of glazes over that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not its focal point, but it is there. It is a part of it. It's just, you know,
0: they're kind of doing it on the low. Which
1: is interesting. You know, it's it is what it is.
0: Yeah. Latchkey kid. The thing is, I feel like it sounds like I'm way more down on this movie than, than I am. Like it's a C plus B minus. Like it's a yeah. good movie. There's nothing wrong with the movie. It no, just no, doesn't. No, no. It's I, not one. I was, I was bored always by it. it. Like,
1: uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's where perception and, you know, just having all this wealth of films we've watched and knowledge along the way. Like I said, 2002, when I first seen it, it was a little bit more effective. I wasn't scared, but I was like, I, you know, I get where it's creepy, you know? You come mm-hmm. on through a fucking screen. I haven't seen that before. It's long, black-haired figure. What the fuck? And that fuck? is dope,
0: that whole time. Right,
1: up. and I get it. If you're into that stuff and you're scared of the supernatural and ghosts and all that other stuff, it's gonna stick with you. Mm-hmm. I get it. Not my thing. <laughs> we already said it. But because of its influence, we also can't ignore that, you know? Like, right. Even though I'm not a huge fan, like I said, it's a well-crafted film. The score's really good. There's even moments where I'm looking at it how they're framing characters and the surroundings. It's like, it's a really well crafted film. It really is. The lighting, the textures, all
0: that shit. Even though the types of J horror I normally go for are subgenres away from this, none of that stuff would have gotten picked up in the States if it wasn't for the success of shit like this. Oh,
1: without a doubt. Another interesting aspect, too, which I found out about this particular genre of J horror is that typically you have female protagonists and antagonists. So they're your leads typically in these Mm -hmm. style of films. So that's kind of a departure, I think, from, you know, I won't say all horror films because that's not fair. But, I mean, you do have Final Girls and stuff like that, but it's not typically women chasing after women. It's a slasher as a dude, some kind of force, you know, a brute force. Not in this case. you know. So it's kind of an interesting departure. You know, in its own right. So you give a little credit there too. It helps with that.
0: A little bit more representation. I don't want to sound like I'm only shitting on this movie. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I really liked. I'm actually just gonna talk up the first half of this again. I do like the build up of this movie to finally getting to see one of the victims. Yeah. Like I mean I how did. how weird and crazy it is that's going on. Like they don't just jump into that part and Yeah. They don't play it for the jump scare that they. I was going to
1: say they don't rely on jump scare. It's a slow burn, and then the reveal of why people are dying in this fashion gives it some more context. You know, it's like oh, that's actually the punch that you're waiting on the whole fucking movie. Mm -hmm. I was going to say early on, I did like when she's investigating the couple and she sees the you know the newspaper clipping, and then she gets the police video, I suppose, and they show the kid in the car. You know, oh right, I was like okay. That's good. They didn't have to show that, <laughs> but they did. So, you know, kudos to them for that. They had just started snogging. Yeah. And then the mom breaking down in Tomo's room, she's like, this is where I found her. And mm-hmm. you see what she looked like. And like, damn, <laughs> drove her friend crazy. Rightfully so. But I did think there was a lack. I don't know if this is a cultural thing. I could be wrong. But I was like, damn, the whole time that Reiko was in that house and Tomo's mom was like having her moments. She was like, all right, I'm gonna go upstairs. And then she's breaking down. She's like, All right, I'm gonna go get these photos. <laughs>
0: you you know, once
1: did she try to comfort her or no. like try to give her any kind of words, she's like, Awkward. Yeah. uh, I'm I'm gonna be up there if you need me. <laughs> yeah, and then she follows her up there. She's like, That's not why I'm in this room right now. <laughs> you know, but I, I did feel like that. It's like, man, there's some lack of empathy there, man. But I don't know. Like, I, said, I don't know if that's supposed to be a cultural thing or what have you, but I didn't notice it. Or if it. it was
0: just weird. <laughs> yeah. Just going to a little cringe in here. <laughs> I do. Look, no big critics listen to us. Nah. But if you are a big critic and you put out a opinion on this movie back when it came out, retrospect go, it. Man. I want to see. Yeah. I want to see you do a retrospective on it. And, like, yeah, you have to give it the props that he, for the influence, but. Like, give it a real look again. Exactly.
1: Revisits are always interesting because it lets you know whether or not those statements, the timeless statements, hold or not.
0: It's still good, though. It's still good. It is
1: a good film. Like I said, I have nothing against it. It's just not my bag of tea.
0: Okay. Intro, kind of generic, ghosty stories. This or The Conjuring?
1: Ooh, damn. I think because it's more modern, I would probably watch The Conjuring. (laughs) I know that's kind of a hard pill to swallow. But just because it's more modern, that's the only Mm -hmm. reason why I think I would watch it. No discredit to this, but there are so many more Japanese films I'd much rather watch. (laughs) Not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I got a bunch of them, too.
0: (laughs) If you're going to give me a weird Japanese ghost story, then make an imprint. Dude, come on. Yeah.
1: I mean, we've already done. I know it's not Japanese, but Korean, Asian I would go Tale
0: of Two Sisters. Right. Yeah, Tale of Two Sisters is probably my favorite ghost story of all time now. I would argue, yeah. It's a different, it's Korean. Right. right? If we're going Asian ghost stories. Oh,
1: man. That movie's so good.
0: (laughs) But yeah, yeah. There's better in the genre
1: of ghost stories, too.
0: Yeah. And we still haven't done that many ghost stories because, like we said at the beginning of this, (laughs) both of us kind of don't care about ghosts.
1: Dude, if we were a Wee arm, that would have been the word of the night. It (laughs) would have been. Damn. Not our bag.
0: <laughs> Not our bag. But, I mean, we'll, we'll get to more ghosts, though. Yeah, and we can't help it. It's, like it's bound said, to happen. Some of them are good. I agree. We just both said, tell two sisters. Go watch that. It's fantastic. I highly recommend it. It's, a, it's an amazing movie. I mean, first season of American Horror Story. That's one Dude. of the best haunted houses I've ever seen. It is arguably one of the best seasons, period,
1: on that show. Such a good haunted house. Yes, it it's good. It's sad. It's everything you want. I watch
0: Michael Jackson's ghosts. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, uh, maybe you don't have to do that. I just needed. Did to you say watch Whoopi Goldberg and Ghosts? <laughs> <laughs> That's a story I can get into. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> so, like, like physically, <sighs> it would have been to me and Whoopi getting it on that night, right? Yeah. Yep. You're right. <laughs> Like, the sways wasn't affecting anything. I don't
1: think her name was a coincidence either. Make a whoopie tonight. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whoopee! Yeah, yeah. see? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, are we doing with Ringo?
1: I think so. Like I said, if you haven't seen it, if you're a fan of supernatural ghost films, check it out. But we've already mentioned there's better in the genre.
0: Yo, if you haven't seen it, I would recommend seeing it just for, like, to say you have this is absolutely what kicked it all off I
1: think this is definitely a film I won't say must watch but if you are a film of the genre you have to watch it at least once dude at least I, once
0: even when I was getting bored I was glad I watched it once I was annoyed I watched it twice <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know man for the cast dude for the podcast <laughs> but I kind of felt the same way the second time
0: through I was like ah, okay
1: I started that shit way early this morning too and it took, still took me till about noon <laughs>
0: See, I started it way late. I finished uh, it like 10 minutes before you came in. That's okay. But well, I'm just like, yeah. And that's only because I lucked out and didn't have to do my other <laughs> podcast today. Yeah, it's all good. But
1: yeah, sometimes the second time is through it, especially like we've already mentioned. It can be a little much,
0: but it's okay. All right. So we have next time picked. Yeah, dude. I'm excited. In the past, we covered the first song. <laughs> We are now going to continue the franchise by skipping over number two because I specifically requested it because <laughs> I have seen number two way too many times and I do not want to rehash it quite again just yet. Yeah, hey, I'm cool with that. So we're going to skip ahead to number three and that's going to kind of start preparing us for the fact that Spiral's coming up oh and we're like not Spiral sequel to the ring that came out <laughs> the same year. Coincidentally enough, but you're right. A whole different Spiral. The Chris, Chris rock came up with a saw movie spiral.
1: I'm excited for that alone. And then you throw in Samuel L on top. Come on.
0: Those trailers look good too. It looks a lot better than it should. It still might be trash,
1: but it looks
0: good right now. It looks good (laughs) right now. It's kind of trash. I'm looking for. (laughs) So we're super excited to be checking that out. We will hopefully be finding ways to bring you our thoughts on that quickly ways that we have not explored before mm-hmm. we like new ways so be prepared to hear more about that and before we completely sign off for this episode i did receive while we were podcasting a couple more messages from friend of the show jesse nice. that i already mentioned earlier. real time right yeah so i just want to shout out him and my former roommate angie again what's up you guys oh <laughs> yeah also like shout out to some of our other like who haven't we shouted out in a bit?
1: That uh, I know we haven't shouted out to Mark Juan. He got married recently, dude. Big congrats to Mark Juan if you're listening. I know we haven't uh shouted out Brett in a while, so shout out to Brett too. Right? Yeah. There was like Tori and from- yeah Nicole. There's some other people we're missing, but we've got them here and there. I know Steven's listening. Yeah, people here in town. If you're listening, thank you once again.
0: Thank all of you, but like I was specifically Family requested. Friends. Thanks, Jesse and Angie. Love you guys. I think he said that Angie's actually supposed to be in town right now, so I am offended that you are not here in this room with us right now. Oh, no. Uh, missing out. <laughs> missing out, because Jesse's been on the show. Yeah, was, you can come on, too. It's fun. I know you're listening to this. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just let us know. Hit us up. But for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, Out. out.